the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get real time commentary, updated articles, and ad free content than The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com/slash spot track today and get yourself your first year subscription at 40% off. That's theathletic.com slash track, where they are, of course, highlighting Bobby Bonilla Day. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day to everybody. July 1st, for 30-plus years, Bobby Bonilla will be paid another $1.193 million today by the Mets, and he will continue to be due so until, eight, until 2035. He's 58 years old, making... 1.2 mil, sitting home somewhere, enjoying it. And actually, I just read this today. The Mets are embracing this now, and he's embracing this now. There's a, they're actually doing a promotion at City Field for Bobby Bonilla today. So it's uh, it's all the rage. It's super fun to do this every year. It's not just Bobby Bonilla Day today, though. It is Name Image Likeness Day. It's officially here. Eight states minimum. I think more will unlock themselves in the coming hours slash days. A lot of people are waiting to see how this all sort of rolls out. We don't really know how this is going to roll out. There's plenty of private companies that have been created or aligning themselves, building new divisions to get ready for this, to reach out to your football stars, your basketball stars, you know, men and women, you know, men and women. And we'll see how far this can trickle down. We'll see if this can push into, you know, the swimming, the gymnastics, obviously those sports that do get some television run, college softball and those World Series the baseball world series. There's a, there's an opportunity where the networks exist to really make this work. You know, I'm seeing all sorts of ideas being flown out right now in terms of cards, signings, of course, but radio appearances, you know, football players hopping on a radio show and, and getting themselves 20 to $25,000 per year. That's a pretty simple way for this to get going. And it gives these athletes some experience in front of the microphone, some experience answering questions, all good things at, you know, preceding your, professional career, prospective professional career. Um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, you know, will coaching staffs and agents be, be mortified to have 18-year-old kids on a, on a radio show live answering questions? That's terrifying. A lot of things can go wrong there. But, you know, a lot of things go wrong on Twitter, too. So there's a... It's here. It's here. There's going to be lawyers. Don't be looking to the NCAA for information about this. They're going to be deferring basically everything outward. You know, get your parents involved, get an agent involved, get get other companies involved to be helping you. The, the colleges and universities themselves will have to be managing the compliance of this. So hopefully they're staffing up properly and they're all doing their homework so that when players have questions and they will have questions, when companies approach players, you know, there's going to have to be, well, we have a deal with Nike. Can, we, can you have a deal specifically with Under Armour and, and those kind of things? There's going to be a lot of minutiae. There's going to be a lot of mistakes made. I'm sure there's going to be uh, infractions and all those things that come with it. But it's a good step. It's a big step in the right direction for these athletes. You know, there's there's plenty of talk out there about will will booster money now be put pushed directly to players instead of the athletic department? So will your smaller sports suffer? I I guess it's possible, but I, I have to break some news here to you folks. Boosters were already paying the players. <laughs> Okay. This is like legalizing pot and, you know, eight out of 10 people saying out loud, yeah, I've been doing this for 40 years. What are you talking about? The fact that it's not legal just makes it a little bit easier for me. This stuff's been happening for 40 years. 
We've all seen the movies. We've all read the articles. We've all heard people come out and say this after the fact. Yeah, I got a car. I got my parents got a house. I got 200 grand. This stuff's been happening. All right. And now it's just going to be more prevalent. And will there be more money included? Of course, there's going to be more money included. But guess what? Nothing's going to change immediately. Okay. I mean, if a superstar quarterback is supposed to go to Florida over Florida State, there's going to be a bidding war. There always has been a bidding war. All right. That's not breaking news. It's just now that it can be kind of in front and there can be promotional things built into it and there can be private companies getting involved. So yeah, the, the boosters are going to be having to shelve their money elsewhere. The athletic departments are still going to benefit from this because guess what? If the university of Florida lands a superstar quarterback who is also extremely marketable, right? Is an Instagram star is a TikTok star, whatever you want to say that that's only going to trickle back to the college. The college is going to benefit off that as well, because now they can promote that athlete indirectly secondhand, right? That, that athletes out there doing this. Oh, we can talk about this on our social media. We can talk about this in our promotions. We can do things at the stadium to, to, to ramp this up. A, it helps the player. B, it helps the university. There's money to be made for everybody here. All right. The, the colleges and universities would not be going along with this like they would be if they couldn't also make a couple of dimes off it. So there's going to be an influx. It's not just going to be players making a ton of coin. Here's my question and, and, and something that we can really watch over the next two, two to three years is, is this thing gets rolled out. Will the ability to promote yourself, will the ability to brand yourself, will you creating this brand, doing interviews, doing radio shows, doing television shows for pay, will that whole thing become the college experience? You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I need to learn how to market myself. I need to learn how to manage some money here. I need to learn how to handle these interview processes before I get to the professional sports, the NBA, the, the NFL, and turn into a train wreck with that stuff. We've seen it happen so much, so many times. Young kids push themselves through a one year of college, get right to the, the NBA, and the train falls off the tracks pretty quickly. So will this whole name image likeness process become their college education? And in turn, Will companies, will colleges, will players and agents and parents decide, hey, you may need two to three years there to do this. All right, go play college ball for a couple of years. You can make some coin. We'll make good coin and we'll learn how to make more coin. Because guess what? Once you get to the NBA, once you get to the NFL, yeah, you're having high paid salaries and signing bonuses thrown your way. But that marketing, that brand you just created is also coming with you. And now it's going to amplify now you're now you know you, whatever your niche you created in your university and in that college park or even on a national level if you're at the at a power five school, now you bring it to a a big gigantic corporation in the NFL or the NBA, and everybody's going to get a bump up and that money becomes good. So you want to have an evolved brand before you get here, and now that's now it's not only is it possible you're going to have people coming from everywhere to help you build that brand, and it may not be done in one year. It may take two years to mature or three years to mature. So I just wonder if it may be, you know, let's get ourselves to a situation. Let's not be one and done. Let's not do that. Let's, let's take some time. Let's have some fun playing college basketball. Let's have some fun playing college football. And oh, by the way, let's build this business brand around us for a year and a half, two years before we graduate to the professionals where obviously everything can be amplified when we're ready. I'll be in a better shape for it. I'll be a better person for it. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but I could see it happening. I could see there being a situation where a maturation process from the branding department 
not from the player. You know, I understand how it works right now, right? You want to get the hell out of there and get to that signing bonus as quickly as possible. And oh, by the way, if you're a running back, you got to get there as quickly as possible so that your career doesn't end in three years, because that's how some of these, these professional careers are, are trending now as well. So could be wishful thinking, but I think the whole process of developing a business, which is what you're doing now with this name image likeness, you know, it could take more than a year and, and it could be beneficial to those athletes to make it more than a year. So is that something that happens? Are we seeing a little bit longer college careers for some of these athletes in, in the prominent sports for them to develop this process, for them to get good at this process, for them to be able to bring something that can transition immediately into a professional situation? Something to keep an eye on. All right, what else is trending right now? This is going to be sort of a, a bounce around open before we get to Keith Smith and Scott Allen on a bounce around the NBA. Clippers are out. Dallas has completely upheavaled their front office and coaching staff for Luca. What's going to happen with Zion Williamson in this regard, who has does have a brand and wants to move that brand elsewhere, reports say. Um, and plenty more. Trade to speculations with Dame. Plenty more to get to. Cap space situations with, with many of the teams. Keith Smith's got all the good numbers at the back end of the show in just a few minutes. But uh, Lionel Messi, another thing that happens on July 1st is the international transfer window sort of officially opens, even though it officially kind of opened June 9th for negotiations. Most of those signings don't officially happen until July 1st. So today's a huge day in the sports world. Um, and it's not just Bobby Bonilla. And oh, by the way, deferred money happens all the time in baseball. There are, there are players right now, Jacob DeGrom being one of them, talking about the Mets, who have... $50 million deferred up until like 2039. So it's it's a commonplace thing. The Washington Nationals do this quite a bit. It, it's been happening for quite a long time. The Bobby Bonilla story is fun because it's kind of like a cute story, right? And it's kind of something we hang our hat on every year. July 1st is really a memorable day. Bobby Bonilla is sort of a memorable player because of, you know, a polarizing player back in the day. It's just sort of, a you know, the Bernie Madoff sc scandals involved. So there's drama built into the deferred money. So I, I get that it's kind of overplayed and some people may be sick of it, but you know, it's not uncommon. Let's put it that way. Plenty of players in major league baseball have had deferred payments and currently do have deferred payments on their contracts. And we do sort of try to spell that out. By the way, you want to see a, uh, a deferred payment process in its best check out Mookie bets on spotrack.com. That is a, uh, that's a pay structure that will, uh, I think every one of us would take 10 times over and, uh, twice on Sunday. So take a look at Mookie on, in terms of how uh, a major, major contract handles deferred payments going forward. But back to Lionel Messi and the soccer situation. I put a tweet out yesterday because it was important. And I put the numbers at the top of the tweet because it's important. The way that soccer works internationally is it's, you, there's not just a base salary. There is a base salary. There's a weekly payout. There's a weekly wage. And we try to track those as much as possible for the EPL and some of those other, uh, other leagues out there. You know, Lionel Messi is the most prominent name. Now, you can say Ronaldo's the most marketable name. I would agree with you. Ronaldo maybe has been the better player here and there, in and out. You know, those two have sort of battled in, in Federer, Nadal sort of fashion to sort of dominate their sport's top threshold. Both of them have won a ton. Both of them have individual awards all over the place. I'm not, I'm not here to have that argument right now. What I'm here to tell you is, as of today, July 1st, Lionel Messi's four-year, $674 million contract has officially expired. Okay, He is a street-free agent right now, which means Barcelona can now, can now not procure a transfer fee 
if he if Messi signs somewhere else. All right, he's a straight free agent. He goes somewhere else for free now. I don't think that's going to be the case. Most of the of the reading I've done on this says that he is going to stay in Barcelona, that it will be a smaller contract. It will be much less of a contract. And I realize I just said 674 and glossed over it. I'll get there in a second. Um, the fact of the matter is Barcelona is a billion dollars in debt because of this, of course. And they can't feasibly take on more money, more partnership money, more sponsorship money to do this all over again, even though they, they certainly want to keep Messi in the fold. So this next contract is going to be shorter term and there's going to be some stipulations. It's going to be less pay and, and rightfully so. When you just walked away with almost $700 million <laughs> on your last contract, you know, you should probably be in a position where you're taking a more air quotes team friendly deal. And I do think that will be the case. So, so I do imagine when, when the release comes that Barcelona has retained rights for Messi, it's going to look something like two to three years at what maybe a hundred million a year, you know, if that's really what he's worth in terms of a marketability standpoint, you know, if he's worth 400, maybe it's a hundred now. Then it does sound like there's going to be a built-in stipulation that he goes to the to MLS, comes to America, plays a couple of years on a club here, similar to what Wayne Rooney did, uh, Ibrahimovic did, and a couple of other players. Gareth Bale may be doing that this year, but Barcelona is going to have that built into their contract that you're they're basically going to loan him out to an MLS team, maybe Miami, maybe LA, as an ambassador for Barcelona. Because that's what it is. You know, the name is still, he's still tied to Barcelona at that point. So it's an ambassadorship for their club to let him go play elsewhere in, in a situation where he's going to be, what, 38, 37 years old at that time, and maybe a little bit past his prime to be able to stay on a field for 90 minutes in a Barcelona match. So I do think it'll be a two, three year run in Barcelona, maybe a two, three year run in Major League Soccer. And then he comes back and fulfills some sort of front office role to finish out this. So if this is a 10-year contract total, maybe six years of it is with playing. And then four years of it will be built in with a brand ambassador or the marketing. You know, we've seen that with David Wright. We've seen that with a few other contracts. Albert Pujols had that built in his Angels contract. So that is, is an international contract structure. Um, and, and this is the, certainly the twilight years of Messi, even though he's playing still out of his mind. But yes. It was four years, six hundred seventy-four million. That's what just expired. That's not just base salary. Okay, that's not just signing bonus. That's everything. That's all the marketability. That's the that's everything built into this thing. Okay, you can take money from everywhere in international soccer, from corporations, from partnerships, from anywhere, from the networks. All right, it's all built into your staple. Now there's there's legalities and and plenty of these these clubs break the rules with how you can acquire this money and, and to what degree you can acquire this money. But it is basically a free-for-all. I mean, this is if the NBA didn't have a hard cap, didn't have a tax threshold to, to some degree, and allowed money to come in from everywhere. What if LeBron could bring in all of his Liverpool money and all of his pizza money and all that stuff and include that as part of his Lakers deal? That's what Messi has done here. Okay, so the 674 isn't just coming from Barcelona specifically. In fact, very little of that is coming from the club specifically. Most of it is being paid from the outside looking in. It's not unlike the name image like this conversation I just had with college athletes where you're going to have boosters pumping money directly to a singular player. You're going to have Nike pumping money and, and, and products directly to a singular player who can then turn and promote that. That's, that's built in. That's baked into this messy deal. So, yes, 674 million is insane. 
but it's it's including the endorsements. It's, in, it's including the sponsorships. So, you know, I, I can't sit here and tell you what LeBron's total package compensation with the Lakers is, but it's not just the four years and a hundred and change. You know, that's not just what his contract is worth. Certainly, the, the the clutch situation, the endorsement situation that that transpired when he chose the Lakers a couple of years ago was amplified. So LeBron is probably similarly aligned with this four years, $674 million. That's probably about where the major American athletes, Kevin Durant, probably a similar situation going to, you know, an Alibaba run Brooklyn. You know, what's the ownership standpoint there? What's the partnership standpoint in terms of what you're getting into in Brooklyn? Not to mention the proximity to New York City. I would imagine Durant's situation is very similar, you know? It's not just base salary. He's not making $138 million a year or whatever that breaks down to. All right. It's uh it's everything baked in. So think about it in perspective when you're talking about your LeBrons, your ADs, your Mike Trouts to some degree. Um, most of these players are putting these kind of numbers up on an annual basis when you talk about endorsements and sponsorships. It's just the way that soccer sort of reports things, especially internationally, this is what it looks like. So yes, it's a staggering number. And it's a real number. I mean, he is, he has earned this money. This is part of what his process has been. This is part of what it takes to get superstars onto major clubs in soccer internationally. But it's not unlike, you know, what a Roger Federer, what a LeBron James can do here when they change cities, when they win championships, when they win majors, that that's the kind of endorsement money that can get pumped into your, into your backside. That's just how it works in sports. That's why, Name image likeness is so important to college athletes right now because they know that this stuff is hanging out there. They know that, you know, a 30 second Instagram post can garnish them $10,000 if they play their cards right. That's how this stuff works, right? That's why the influencers are doing what they're doing. And all of our, you know, teenage kids are trying to become that because that kind of money is sitting out there. You know, YouTube likes are paying six, you know, $6 out, six figures out there right now. If you get enough likes, your ad revenue just becomes insane in some people's eyes. That's the probability. That's the possibility of what this name image likeness can be. And that's why Lionel, Lionel Messi's contract isn't four years, $400 million. It's $250 million more than that. Because the second he signs a new contract, his stance in Barcelona is now stable. All these partners that come with Messi and come with Barcelona and come with Spain as a whole now want to re-up and pay him directly and to make sure he's here for four more years. You're going to see much of that again, but I think on a smaller level going forward with Messi's next contract. All right, let's talk some basketball with Keith Smith and Scott Allen. But first, today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, dedicated to serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring sports professionals the financial solutions they need including access to financing to support prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more today about Morgan Stanley's pre and post draft loan program at morganstanley.com slash GSE. That's morganstanley.com slash GSE. All right. It's the perfect time to bring back our friend and colleague, Keith Smith. Keith, first off, great pieces on spytrack.com of late. You've been, uh, Starting and continuing our off-season preview pieces, which are really in-depth. Um, I just posted the Oklahoma City Thunder one. Let's start right there, Keith. Is that a team that can do some damage this off-season, or are they going to be in pause mode? 
Yeah, I think they're still in rebuild mode. I think they're not ready yet. They, they would have to add so much talent to push that thing forward that I think we're going to see them do like they did last year. They're, they're going to, uh, like they've already started with the Kemba Walker trade. I think you're going to see them uh, go through a period where they're still in asset collection mode and uh, let's get what we can and uh, build this thing up for, from there. So it's going to be a little bit before I think we see them really uh, get back into the full swing of things. When it, When is the time to strike though? Because are they just going to let 60 million in trade exceptions expire? Uh, I do think the trade exceptions will probably ultimately go unless they've got something lined up that they're going to do at the draft, which is possible. You know, may, maybe they've you know lined something up now, and that that's how they use them to, you know, whether it be extra picks in this year's draft or <laughs> extra picks, picks coming down the line. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because they need more of those. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but if whether it's you know that's the direction they go, or they let those expire and they go the cap space route this off season where they can have, you know, a good uh, large chunk of cap space to kind of do almost accomplish the same kind of thing. So we'll, we'll see, but, but I do think we're going to see them uh, continue to take on bad money from other places and, you know, continue to add to that stash. And then probably a year from now is when you start to really think about turning the corner and, and uh, moving things forward. So speaking of the off seasons, uh, the Clippers were eliminated last night. So where do they go from here? Does Kawhi opt in or opt out of his player option? Uh, what does Serge do? Do they have to potentially move some other pieces? What are your thoughts? And how big is Reggie Jackson's contract going to be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Re Reggie Jackson earned himself a nice chunk of change. Uh, there, there is an article up on Spot Track about players on the minimum who have played themselves off that. And I think Reggie Jackson probably headlines that list at this point. So that one's going to be interesting to see, you know, what the Clippers are willing to do to pay Reggie Jackson to stick around because ideally next year, he's probably a backup guard for them, but what they can pay him is probably really good money for a six man type of player. As far as Kawhi goes, all you know indications are he will opt out. He'll opt out, and then from there, what will probably happen is we'll see the uh, Clippers re-sign him to a max deal. Length, that's a little more unknown. We'll, we'll see, but he's already at the top tier uh, there, but maybe he wants to keep flexibility. He, he may kind of go the LeBron route of, I'm going to do short-term deals to keep pressure on you to continue to make this team good and be a contender around him because I think they have to feel like if they had him healthy – they might be headed to the NBA Finals because uh, they would have been that close with the Suns for them. And then Serge Ibaka is that one's really interesting because normally you would look at it and say, All right, this guy probably opts out because he can, you know, kind of roll it back, run, do do the same kind of contract again, and go that direction. But I think what we're going to ultimately see with Serge is he probably opts in because of what he went through with the back injury that he was never able to get back from. That's something that could linger at this point in his career where he's a little bit later into it, where it might make more sense for him to opt in and have that security of having that money. It's time to go to the hot stove, Keith. I hate to put you on the spot with this, but the, the Dame stuff isn't going away. You know, I know, I know we've talked Bradley Beal a little bit. You know, there's some, will, will, the, will the whole Westbrook Beal situation be blown up? We've talked to McCollum. We've talked Dallas. There, there's there's a lot of moving potential pieces in terms of superstars, and that's just how the NBA operates now in the offseason. Somebody's going to go. So is it Dame? 
And is that possible? And are there destinations ready to pounce on that? Yeah, my guess is it's not going to be him this offseason. I think what we're going to see is they'll do enough to placate him and make him happy that they're trying to move it forward. And if they don't get it right, which they haven't gotten it right yet, then we're going to see that become an official, I want to go. I'm ready to be somewhere else. I want to do something different. Uh, yeah, I've given everything I can to this city. But he's closer than he ever was. When, when Chris Haynes goes on the record with a report yeah. related to Dame, Damian Lillard, you know it's it's true. Nobody knows him better than Chris. I mean, Chris has done reporting from his house. So uh, I, I think we can uh, run, run to the bank with that one. But I think what we're going to now ultimately see here is Portland's got a lot of pressure on them. For the first time, Damian Lillard exercised what I call the superstars right, is either make this team good enough that we can contend, or then uh, then you know we're, we're going to have a conversation after that. We all know how that conversation is going to go. The only reason why I say it's not going to happen this year is new coach. Uh, he hasn't officially asked out yet. I think Portland's going to do what they can to kind of – keep him happy and try to keep him home there and, and uh, move forward with that. But if he does 29 teams are going to call because it's Damian Lillard. He's good enough. You know, we just talked Oklahoma city might be kind of far away. Well, he's good enough to pull you into at least playoff contention by himself. And so, you know, you'll get a lot of teams. I, it's funny because everybody instantly goes to the Lakers. I don't know how they would pull that off. I don't think they have the salary matching pieces. They, they don't, I don't know that they've got the draft pick capital, but a lot of other teams will be in that mix if that's the direction it goes, which, you know, if you're Portland, you should be able to return a pretty good package. There are a lot of people who are screaming and yelling. The Rockets didn't get a lot for James Harden. The Rockets did get a lot for James Harden. They just spun some of those pieces off in very questionable manners uh, after the, the James Harden acquisition. Um, so that's where you, you can't look at the final, you know, some total. You got to look at what the initial deal was and then look at what the, uh, Pelicans got for Drew Holiday, who Drew Holiday is a nice player, but he's not Damian Lillard. So I, I think the uh, Trailblazers can feel pretty confident that if it gets to that point, they're going to return a monster package. Could be a brutal 12 months for for the, the North Pacific Northwest. Because th- what you're saying is the exact situation that the Seattle Seahawks are dealing with with Russell Wilson. He's sort of went out there and said, yeah, I'm not super happy. I haven't been happy. They, they better figure it out or I'm getting the hell out of here. I, I think simultaneously both those two players could be out of there if they're in the same boat next year. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because that, that's what I think Damian Lillard did was he set the stage now of, all right, yo, we're, we're going to use the backlash from the coaching hire as the yeah. impetus for this reporting. But the reality is I, I don't think he's as upset about that as, as it came out with. I think it's more the line of, you know, hey, I'm not sure if I can win a championship here. And he's starting to get to the point in his career where if it doesn't happen soon, then you're looking at it being, you know, all right, well, I wasn't a major part of it. I kind of jumped in at the tail end as a ring chaser there. And guy, it, not that guys don't do that and aren't still happy to win one, but he wants to win one while he's a major part of that team moving forward. So, yeah, it's going to be you know one of those things where, where it's tough. And this happens in the NBA. And it, you know, we kind of saw this with the New Orleans Pelicans where it, you know, hung over their head for a while with Anthony Davis. So, all right, what, what are we doing here? And I wonder if you're Portland, if, you know, what, when you eventually say, you know what, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We're not going to let it get to that point. We've got an offer on the table. We like, let's move this forward, even though he hasn't asked. So last question on, on Dame specifically, because I think he will be the biggest piece, no matter what happens the rest of the year. 
are, are teams going to be aligned with your thinking in, in that, all right, maybe he gets one more year there, but it could be, it could be a real situation next off season, this time next year. Are, are they going to plan accordingly this off season to get themselves ready for that? Or do you think the NBA is so fluid right now that everybody can just flex next off season and prepare something for Dame? Yeah, I think it's, you're going to see a handful of teams do what they can to put themselves in position to, to make an offer on him, or at least have the flexibility to, to make an offer. Uh, because in addition, the next off season should have a really good free agent class. It's shaping up like 2022 and 2023 are going to be, you know, great classes. Now we thought this one might be all right. And then a ton of guys signed extensions and the like, but, but generally that, you know, those guys were in more unique circumstances. So I think, think what we're going to see is a really good free agent class. So what you do is you put yourself in a position to make a run at Damian Lillard. And if not, you're sitting there with, all right, Hey, then our second option Mm -hmm. is have a whole bunch of cap space, pursue free agents when there are a bunch of good ones out there. You mentioned the coaching change in Portland. We've, we've seen a couple other teams have uh, coaching hires, Boston, which you follow pretty closely, uh, but there's still three teams that uh, have not hired coaches and we're about a month away from free agency. So uh, are you surprised by those three teams not having coaches yet? Or, or what is your take on the coaching landscape right now? Yeah, I'm surprised a little bit because we're starting to get into you know heavy draft season here. Usually you want your coach involved in the draft process to at least some extent. Um, you know, if for no other reason, you use them as a sounding board and a tiebreaker. If it's really, you know, hey, we're down to these two guys, you know, well, what what do we think we want to do? But I think they're all kind of coming at it from slightly different places where what, what we're seeing is if you look at the uh, Orlando Magic, that's clearly a rebuild. So they're being very, very purposeful about who they're going to hire as their head coach because what one thing I want to do is make sure we got to nail this one. We have to get the right person in here. Otherwise this is, you know, we could set this whole thing back and it could really become a mess. And then that's when the front office ends up in trouble and those kind of things. They, they've earned themselves the right to rebuild and, and the ownership group and, and team leadership is behind the front office right now for rebuilding, but you got to get that. The, the other teams, uh, better positions right right now where it's looking like all right you know those teams are you know going to be pretty good that they're going to move things forward here that they're going to contend for for playoffs so we'll see you know how that comes together for them but the the it's not that we're down to slim pickings by any means um, where we're not quite there but i think what we are looking at is all right now we're all circling the same kind of people and it's going to turn into all right who's gonna you know blink first and, and make that run at the person they want. So my, my guess is all of these will be resolved within the next week or so, just because you don't want to get so deep into draft season that it's hanging over your head as another thing you have to do when you're trying to prepare for the NBA draft. Keith, you've done a lot of great work on the site over the past couple of weeks to update our projected cap space, our practical cap space for these NBA rosters, which is basically, you know, we can show you what a team can completely unlock in terms of cap hold renounces and things like that. We can show you exactly what they have in terms of guaranteed dollars right now. You bring that element of objectivity where you're sort of assuming this option gets exercised, this option doesn't, this player is going to walk in free agency and so forth. And we've got some numbers now to reflect that. Which teams can have, can unlock themselves enough cap space to be dangerous this offseason? 
and you know OKC be, OKC being one of them where you don't think there will be some sort of movement. Which teams will unlock cap space, but also be going after players this offseason? Yeah, the New York Knicks are first on that list. They they they're probably going to get to right around fifty million or more in cap space. They they they've set themselves up where what they did last offseason and carrying cap space all year long, uh, which is almost unheard of. We don't generally see that anymore. Uh, but what they did was they said, you know what, we missed out on a couple guys. Now instead of uh, doing the old Knicks approach of all right, we're down to the third, fourth, fifth tier guys. Let's give them a ton of money and get them for multiple years. They kept the powder dry. They did a lot of one-year contracts. A lot of guys uh, came in for you know relatively low money. So I think what you're going to see the Knicks do is that they're setting themselves up to, uh, you know, all right, let's have this flexibility. Whether that's free agents, whether that's trades, they're going to be in the mix on everybody. They're they're I, I like to say they're going to loom out there as the boogeyman. Every agent, every uh, you know, front office is going to use them in any kind of negotiation of, well, you know, we, we are talking with the Knicks, too, whether that's true or not. They, they're going to be used that way. So they're number one. The next team on that list, San Antonio, I think is uh, a lot of times we don't think of the Spurs as a free agent destination, but they did land LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, several years back. And that, that was a huge signing for them. They've got a lot of interesting young players. And so I think what you may see the Spurs do is get involved in the restricted free agent market. And if, if they don't land the guys, they're going to take kind of the Sean Marks approach. Interesting that Sean Marks kind of learned at, mm-hmm. at the you know foot of RC Buford and pop in San Antonio, but of, you know, Hey, if we don't get them, at least you had to pay up to do it. So I think you could see them get involved in a guy like John Collins, and say, yo, hey, we, we, we want in on this guy. We're, we're, we're interested in bringing him in. You mentioned OKC. I, I think they're in a different direction. But if they're willing to eat some salary, that could free up another team. And then everybody else uh, outside of that, they're going to be around the same amount of spending power, which is about 20-plus million, which is a pretty good place to be. If you're a team like the Charlotte Hornets, you could see them step forward, get that upgrade that they need, I think, at the center position. Uh, moving forward, whether that's one or two players come in for them uh, there. I, I think the Toronto Raptors, they lost a little bit of flexibility by moving up in the draft. Not the end of the world. That, that's not a bad thing by any means. But I think you're going to see Toronto uh, position themselves to use cap space because I think that's what makes sense for them right now because they're clearly not doing a long rebuild. They're, they're going to try to get right back in the playoffs, especially next year, hopefully back home for the first time in a long time. And then you've got a couple swing teams in there. So you got Miami. We'll see what they do. They're, you know, they're going to be involved if their stars available. They, they always will be. Uh, and then we'll see, um, you know, if they decide to go the cap space route or if they really say, all right, you know what, we're going to resign a couple key guys, but then we're going to roll a lot of this over into next offseason, which that'll be a decision point for a handful of teams. I don't expect to see the Heat take on any uh, you know, super long-term money this year unless it's a true superstar via trade, like if they could get involved on Damian Lillard somehow, of course they would do that. But everybody else, I think you're going to see the Heat you know, do what they can to kind of keep that flexibility that they've built for themselves uh, moving forward into the offseason. Yeah, Miami and Charlotte, both with a couple of notable restricted free agents, by the way. So it is decision time in terms of paying or uh, you know letting them kind of fester out there for these teams with cap space who could be uh, in time. What happens with Dallas, though? We've talked a little bit about this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we've we've spoken since they sort of restructured their entire organization basically for Luca. 
which, you know, I think the last time we spoke and you, you did a, a great piece on it was basically asking the question, will Luca be the first to basically ride this thing out, see where Dallas is in a couple of years and then, you know, maybe go elsewhere and move his career out. It doesn't seem like that's the case now. They've they've uh, they've folded the front office. They've folded the coaching staff. They are all in on Luca and his wishes, which means that two hundred million dollar extension is likely coming. What does that mean? What does that mean for a Porzingis? What does that mean for these pr- prospective free agents, where the roster could have a complete overhaul in the next two months? Yeah, and, and they're they're interesting because you have one part of it is how are him and Porzingis getting along, right? That's one of the big yeah. storylines that's out there. And if if that turns into you know what they really are getting along and and they can't make it work, then I think what you're going to ultimately see is Porzingis is going to go. Of course, you're going to pick Luca over Porzingis. Uh, it's gone a little too far where people are saying, you know, they're going to have to trade draft picks to get rid of that salary and those kind of things. He's still a 20-point-per-game score that, you know, some team will talk themselves into, hey, we can get him right here and, you know, those, those kind of things. But if you're Dallas, what you don't want to do is they don't want to take bad money back or long bad money. They, they're, they're looking to uh, really reposition things moving forward. Now, Nico Harrison, the guy they brought in, he's not a basketball executive from the sense of he you know, came from the NBA world, but from Nike, he's got great contacts, great relationships with a lot of players. He knows how to recruit guys. Uh, that's you know a big, big part of this. So I think what you're going to see is they're going to start to uh, really go all in of, you know, selling to folks, you know, hey, here's Luca, who's an MVP candidate at his age already. You know, we're going to we're going to have him locked up long term. You know, now come here and join us. You know, we've you know, we have an owner who will spend when it's title time. You know, he's going to you know put what he needs to to put into the team. Uh, there's the, the added benefit of there's no state taxes in Texas. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, c- come on in here. That That's that's overblown a little bit too, too much. I think people make a little bit much of that, but it is a little bit of a factor at least. And it's going to be, you know, hey, come here, be be that guy to help lift Luca into contention. So whether that happens this summer or not, that's what is a little unclear. Well, we'll see because I don't know that there's those, you know, great guys to go chase. They can really say, hey, this team fits, but they could be another team that says, you know what, hey, we're going to make an offer on John Collins. We're going to make a push for Kyle Lowry. We're going to do something because they, they should have, you know, 30 plus million in cap space if that's the way they want to go. And a lot of people have said to me, you know, well, you know, what happens if Josh Richardson opts in? Sure, that knocks that number down, definitely, but they'll just move him if they need to. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll move him along somewhere. And people say, well, what about Tim Hardaway Jr.? Well, Tim Hardaway Jr. is good, but are you looking at Tim Hardaway Jr.? being the guy who keeps you away from getting, you know, a real star player next to him. No, you're not. Cause you'll figure that out. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's that Dallas is, you know, definitely a team to watch this off season. Yeah. I, I have a feeling it's going to be uber aggressive from here out. I think this was just the start. This was sort of the, the foundation pieces being set that, Hey, and maybe it was just that Cuban basically sat these, you know, his previous staff down and said, this is what has to happen. We have to completely, start from scratch with Luca as the centerpiece and nobody else really wanted to be there for that. You know, I don't think that it, it, too many people want to want to start over with a superstar with a rookie superstar contract and, and try to patch this thing together. That's easier said than done with limited cap space is Porzingis to OKC sort of a done deal in your head. I can't get that out of my head now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, it's, it's funny. I mean, it could be because I think he's also still young enough. Right. And they have no centers. OKC. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you bring him in and say, 
you know what? Hey, we're gonna we're gonna play him in uh in uh, Junior Porzingis, uh, Alexi Pokashevsky together, and you know we'll 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 you know we'll get weird. We'll we'll try this out and see you know. And you could almost sell it as you know, hey, he's still young enough that he fits with SGA and whatever we do. Uh, going forward here is we rebuild this thing. They, they can both be around. So I don't know that it's a done deal. Um, <laughs> just cause I think, I think there it's, it's that, it's that third year of money that gets complicating for Porzingis. If, if it was just this year's money, uh, this upcoming year's money and then next year's when you're, you're still going to be kind of working around having taken on Kemba Walker, that part, I would say, all right, that's fine. Because in two years when they're really ready to push all in, those that money will be gone. It's that third year of thirty plus million. That's where it starts to get a little little sticky. Where it's like, uh, is that is that what they really want to do? Now, if Dallas is, hey, we'll throw you a first round pick too, or we'll you know we'll we'll arrange it somehow that you get something else you really want. Then I think you know if you're OKC, you start to look at it and say, all right, you know what, we'll work around that thirty plus million in that third year, third and final year of his deal. You know when it comes down to that. All right, let's finish off on this. Uh, New Orleans needs a coach. Zion is going into his third year of his rookie contract, uh, which means he'll be extension eligible next offseason. What is your sense with Zion? Do, do you think that knowing, reading the tea leaves, he, he does not want to be in New Orleans? So do you think he could go the route of, uh, either the James Harden p- pull the I don't want to be here right now and New Orleans has to flip him uh, before that extension kicks in? Or do you think Zion goes the route of I'm just going to do that qualifying offer and sign it and be done a- after one year and go into uh, unrestricted free agency? Or do you, does he sign that extension knowing that teams are willing to move a player for any dollar amount at this point, regardless of if they're, they're happy or they want to go somewhere else. Uh, I'll the AD. Um, what do you think Zion is going to do? Yeah. Zion's going to be the next Luca story, right. Of, you know, right. really won't he uh, do that with the qualifying offer. So that, that's a you know great question. I, I tend to think that, the difference with Luke is Luca already qualified for the, the, the bump, the designated rookie uh, bump there. So that part is huge for him where if you're Zion, that still a question mark, you know, whether he'll get to that all NBA level in, in time to do that, 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 that we, we don't know. So if he doesn't, that makes it a lot more likely that, you know, Hey, all right, I'll do the qualifying offer thing and give myself all this flexibility moving forward. And, you know, then I can really pick my destination after my first five years. My guess is, you know, the first time they throw, you know, one of these max offers, whether it's, you know, tier one, tier two, or tier three in front of a guy, they generally tend to take it. Now, New Orleans will do that for sure, because they're not going to be in a position where you want to lose your star after you just lost your other star. Uh, but if it starts to get into, you know, I, I really don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. And that starts to become more of a real thing. Then you do have to think about trading him because you you can move him on a max deal. That's not a problem. He's Zion Williamson. You know, of course, and, you know, most teams are going to jump at, you know, snagging a guy who's that talented and is kind of that star profile player. But I, I think, you know, you could almost make it a little easier on yourself because the other thing that they would have the option there is, all right, well, if we don't have Zion, do we really want Brandon Ingram for almost Mm -hmm. $30 million. All right. No, we don't. All right. Well, let's see, you know, can you do a trade where we trade both of them 
and then we, you know, kind of start to go the OKC route um, with that. So this is another reason why it's important that they get the right coaching hire. Because if you get the right coaching hire there, then what can really happen is you could see Zion's whole perspective on things start to change. It could be, you know what, I, I didn't like playing for Sam Van Gundy. That really wore me down. That beat me up. All right, we got somebody new and fresh in here, and we get off to a good start. But the biggest thing that New Orleans needs to do in the next year, they got to start to win. If you start to win, it's going to change all sorts of things for, for those guys because all of a sudden it'll look different. But the challenge is, how are you going to start to win when you're carrying a couple, you know, pretty questionable contracts and Adams and Bledsoe, you may lose Lonzo Ball. You may lose your kind of your sixth man and Josh Hart. You know, those are all things that they've got to work around and, and they've got to get it right. Cause otherwise you're, you're looking at uh, what could be some really ugly days unless you land some, you know, incredible lottery luck again, uh, you know, coming forward. Right. It, it's almost the fork in the road right now for them. And maybe we're, you know, we're a little ahead of the game here, but you know, the rumors are out there. And quite frankly, when those rumors start, sometimes they don't stop. So, but the fork is, can they, are they pushing to be the Hawks, right? This was where the Hawks were a year and a half ago. I mean, Trey Young was yep. a shell of himself. That roster was being patched together and it didn't look like the pieces that they added were going to be the answer. They changed the coach. Some of those players figured them some things out, Trey being one of them and look where they are. Or you're right. Do they do they forcibly become OKC and start to just sell off parts for draft picks? So here's my final question, because, you know, Zion's in the $10 million range right now. And we know how the salary matching works. We know how this works. Now, certainly somebody could acquire him for cap space. But what what would New Orleans do? Because New Orleans holds the keys to this decision right now, even if Zion says, I'm done. You know, we got to start talking about this right now. I want to make this happen as soon as possible. Is New Orleans going to wait until they can extend him next offseason and get him on that bigger salary uh, in a year and a half so that they can at least bring back pieces for, in terms of salary matching for him? Or, or Keith, are they going to look for, if it comes to it, where they know Brandon's not the option and Zion is forcing his way out, is it about getting three to four draft picks for a cheap Zion Williamson right now? Yeah, I, I think if, if he comes to you and says, I'm done, Yo, I'm, if it's even a credible threat of I'll do the qualifying offer route, I'm not staying here. I want out of here now. I, I think what you do if you're David Griffin in that group is uh, you say, all right, we're not doing another Anthony Davis. Right. We're for a whole year. Mm -hmm. It hung over our heads. And then, you know, is it going to be and – and I'm not accusing Zion of anything or Anthony Davis, but is it going to be, all right, now he's missing games and all these other things are happening and, and it just becomes a mess. So what I would do at that point is I would say, all right, Everybody make your best offers, but you have to, if, if you want, you can take on Brandon Ingram with them that gets you up to, you know, 30 plus million, um, in salary matching. So we'll take back stuff, but you're going to pay us every pick you possibly can. Um, or, you know, I'd look at, all right, you know, the price to take on Zion is you got to eat Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe's <laughs> contracts, you know, and that, that's how we're going to go that direction. Cause that, then what you do is now you've positioned yourself to, Really, all you'll have left at that point is Brandon Ingram and a couple rookie scale guys. Um, if you go that direction, and that gives you a bunch of optionality to build around. So, so that that's that's the approach I would take. But only if he comes and says, "I am done. I'm, I'm I want out of here right now." Uh, that tends to be a little more rare still on a rookie scale, just because the teams have so much control at that point. Um, but if it gets to that point, yeah, that, that's what I would look to do is because. Because your, your goal at that point is clear the decks because you're not going to get 
a player as good as Zion Williamson back, you might get some good players back that could, you know, put you into, you know, sixth, seventh seed range in the Western Conference, but it, but that shouldn't be your end goal. And I think the biggest mistake New Orleans made when they landed the Zion pick was, all right, let's go get all these veterans. Let's really yeah. fast forward this thing and win right away. And that clearly has not worked out. None, none of their veteran acquisitions have gone well for them. They, they've, they've all been, you know, uh, somewhere between, you know, really poor and, you know, uh, absolutely terrible. And that, that's, you know, that, that's the confounding piece right now. You kind of painted yourself in a corner when it was, hey, let's fast forward this versus they had time to say, hey, you know what, we're going to grow this around the kids we got from the Lakers and Zion over the next couple of years. We'll see where we are then. But instead it was, hey, let's get right to the playoffs because I think there was a sense of, you know, hey, let's show this kid right out of the gate what we can do and not have another Anthony Davis. And that's proven to be a mistake. Are you a little surprised that there hasn't been talk about David Griffin's job? Uh, I mean, look, it's it's a what have you done for me lately? I know, sure. I know he's got a lot of clout, and I know that you know you really can't get much done until you have a three to four year window to to, to show what you've done. But that Drew Holiday return and the Stephen Adams situation alone—that's got to be up there in the all time removes, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the getting the picks for Holiday was great, but taking back Adams and Bledsoe and then the extension. Adams, which I, I put this out on Twitter uh, recently, is was it confused me then, and I'm no less confused by it now. I, I just I don't understand why that had to happen um, in, in that position. So I, it, it is uh, one of those things where yeah, I don't I don't fully grasp um, you know what what the plan is there, other than you know hey we're gonna keep trying to roll vets in here to figure this out around them. Now maybe what the the goal is this off season is. Hey, we've got these extra picks coming from the holiday trade. We can, you know, package those with Bledsoe or package those with Adams and, and move them and create some flexibility for ourselves around Ingram and Zion. And that's what we'll go. But yeah. And then to, to your question about David Griffin, I think this is where it helps a little bit that it's new Orleans because it's not this, this, I think if this was in a bigger market where basketball was a much bigger deal, you'd be hearing it a lot more. There's some Pelicans fans out there saying it, but that that's a pretty, you know, uh, uh, not, not, not that large and all, not all that vocal of a, a fan base at times. So yeah, I, th- I think that that's where they're a little more fortunate from that side is that they're not under the scrutiny of it. You know, if the Knicks had done this and blew it this way, we'd, we'd be, you know, I'd have an article up on the site once a week <laughs> talking about how, you know, how they blew it and how they get out of it. Last one. I lied. I got one more for you. You mentioned the Spurs, and and honestly, Keith, you you put them in in a, in a much better light than I've heard basically everybody else speak about the Spurs. You know, there's there's certainly a couple of uh, of backcourt players who can progress there and be something, but that roster as a whole is arguably one of the worst in the league right now. The question is Popovich. Why are we hearing so little about his future? I mean, we, you know, the Becky Hammond situation's out there. She's applying elsewhere. This guy's 72 years old. He's going to coach USA basketball. That to me seems like it could be a perfect swan song for him. You know, what is he just sort of, you know, this is what he does. He's not walking away. He's also the president of the, you know, of operations there. So he's got a bigger role than just sitting on the sideline. But why is he sticking around for this seemingly long term rebuild? Yeah, I think there's a couple things with, with, with that. One is there's, I, I think we might be with Pop hitting the point where, uh, you know, it's generally you hear this. You, I remember hearing this with a, Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno when, you know, who will retire first. Hmm. And, you know, there, there was a thought out there of, 
you know, you look at these old coaches, they retire and then within, you know, a year or two, they, they pass all pass away. And there's a thought of, you know, because at that point there's, you know, what, what's worth getting up every day for, you know, I'm not a football coach anymore. I'm not a basketball coach. So there could be some of that going on. I, I think the Spurs are, you know, unfortunately, you know, Pop lost his wife yeah. uh, fairly recently. So I think the Spurs are, that's what he does. That's his family. Now that's where he, you know, he wants to be. And I think basketball wise, I think after, you know, a 20 plus year uh, run to the playoffs every single year, most of those years, they were, you know, at least a, uh, you know, a fair to middling title contender. You know, you could at least, you know, talk yourselves in there, if not, you know, a true title contender uh, several of those years. I think if you're pop, it's, you know what, I want to get back and get the franchise back moving in that direction. So when I do hand it off, we're going to go. What's getting interesting is the handing off part is we've seen now over the last five, six years, and including maybe this offseason, he's lost several of the people who were, uh, that's the guy who's going to replace Pop. Uh, that That's the one. And now we'll see, you know, it sounds like Will Hardy may move on. It sounds like he may be going to Boston staff under mm-hmm. Yvonne Udoka. Uh, we'll see what happens with Becky Hammond. I, I did have someone tell me, you know, the reason Becky Hammond doesn't have a job is because Pop's going to retire after the Olympics. And, you know, just, and then they're going to hand it over to her. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to that or not. I think that was more just rampant speculation. So I'm not a crazy person. Of, you know, <laughs> no, you're not a crazy person by, by any means. I just, I, 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 I don't know, right? We, we, we don't know. And I think, you know, I'm with that. As far as the roster goes, though, I think it's a little bit better than maybe they're getting credit for. Um, you know, I, I like, you know, some of their, their guys. I just think they're young. And I think they're young at positions where it's not always great to be young at. You know, when, when your lead playmakers are guys who are, you know, figuring it out in year four and five uh, without, you know, a ton of, uh, you know, veterans around them, I, I think that that's caused a little bit of this slide. But I think the flexibility they went into the summer with, with, you know, I think I've got them right around $48 million in spending power. Um, I, I think that's huge because that gives you the ability to, you can even take on veterans to get you back to the playoffs. And as long as you only give them a one or two year deal, it almost doesn't matter when you pay them. I always say, you know, if you, you pay a guy $30 million for one year, it doesn't matter. It's one year. It's, you know, that that's easy to get out of no matter what, because it's only for one season. So I, I think that they're well positioned to, to really make some things happen. And I think for them, there are those kind of mid-tier free agent guys are the guys they've done so well with over the years. In this free agent class, while it's not filled with stars, those those second and third tier guys are really, really good. And I think San Antonio is going to come out of this uh, looking with, with a roster where we look at it and we say, all right, I kind of see you know, the vision now. I see where this is coming together. And if they can get involved on some of the restricted free agents, like I think John Collins would be a perfect fit for them. I would, you know, day one of free agency, here's a full max offer sheet with all the bells and whistles as far as, you know, upfront payments and, uh, you know, player options and trade bonuses and everything else we can do and really force the Hawks to swallow hard and say, all right, do we want to match this knowing we've got Trey Young a year from now that's going to be on a, you know, max offer uh, you know, or max contract, and that's going to be where we're at. So I, I, I think they've got, they've got the opportunity to really improve themselves and make, make it very uncomfortable for some of the other teams in the league to, to figure out exactly the direction they want to go. I'm voting for a mid-August handoff to Becky Hammond. I think it's the right move. And, and it'd be a, the perfect way for Pop to go. You know what I mean? I just think it's got, a, it's got all the Pop cards sort of dialed up. It's just, a, you know, he's not going to be this Coach K, give me, give me the last year swan song, in my opinion. You, do you agree with that? 
Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, he's not. He when he's done, he's just gonna. You know, I think he might not uh, even tell us, Keith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we we might show up for training camp, and they're like, oh yeah, he's not the coach anymore. He retired. He's home. You know, he's he's home drinking wine and you know doing his thing. I I feel like the same thing's gonna happen with Bill Belichick. Yeah. Eventually, it's just gonna be you know everybody's gonna show up one day and they're gonna be like. Oh hey, uh, Josh McDaniels is the coach now. Belichick's out on his boat, you know, uh, out by, uh, you know, uh, out, out at Cape Cod. So yeah, yeah I, I I do think you know that there is that potential that that's uh, the way you know that one comes comes together. Because yeah, it it wouldn't be surprising at all too, especially if Team USA goes out there and you know rolls to a gold medal. Um, yeah, I think you could look at it as all right, what more is there to do for this guy? I just gotta wonder if that's in the back of his mind of. What do I do? But now if he says, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to do the, the, the front office thing and just do that, which I think it's been so long. People forgot he became the coach because the year they got Tim Duncan, it was all, it was such a mess. And he, in his exact quote at the time was, I built this mess. I should be the one who has to sit there every night and coach it. And then, you know, and then of course, you know, the lottery lock, they got Duncan and that's, you know, that, that's how you end up with, you know, 20 plus years of dominance, um, you know, in a place like San Antonio. But yeah, I, I, I do have to wonder if he looks at it and says, you know what, I'll do the front office thing, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's like, when I'm done, I'm done and I'm walking away entirely. He's at Keith Smith MBA on Twitter. You can see him all over spotrek.com with a couple articles a week. Really, he's been doing great work for us. Keith, thanks so much. Thanks, Keith. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. My thanks to Keith and Scott. Great NBA discussion as always. There's plenty to talk about, even with a, a weak free agent class. That sometimes drives even better conversations because it's trade speculation. It's who's going to unlock cap space to make things happen, which superstars are disgruntled at this point. You know, and, and in Dame's case, maybe it is a year away, but you know, Bradley Beal's going to come back into focus here soon, folks. Donovan Mitchell is going to come into focus soon. There's going to be plenty to talk about. We're super psyched to have Keith on board for all of it. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, morganstanley.com slash GSE for prospective pre and post draft loan programs, financials, all the solutions you need to carry yourself into professional sports properly. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 